This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. The term empathy has been drawing a lot of attention in the recent years with the belief that providing more empathy in the workplace is a good thing. But the idea of the use of empathy crosses over so many many other areas as well in children's education, uh, in the prison systems across the U.S., as well as other areas around the globe. Chris Beam is an assistant professor at William Patterson University in New Jersey and is the author of the new book, I Feel You, The Surprising Power of Extreme Empathy. And it's great to have Chris joining us on the show right now. Chris, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Uh, Why is it, do you think, that uh, that empathy has become such an important topic right now? I think there are a couple of reasons. Um, One is, you know, in the 90s, there was the the surge of interest in mirror neurons. Um, And while mirror neurons themselves have been largely debunked, um, they gave us a way to think about empathy. a researcher named Giacomo Rizzolatti in Italy discovered these neurons, um, which essentially were the motor neurons firing in monkeys when monkeys didn't move a muscle. Right. Um, and they, they, they gave us a tool for thinking about empathy, and they said, hey, this means that empathy actually exists. And what it did with it, it, it spawned an avalanche of interest in all things empathy. Um, and I think then, um, th- so there was that, and, and then I think there was at the same time, um, I think that corporations have been driving the, the idea for empathy, actually, um, as they um, push for, um, as, they, as they are looking to market things to us one-to-one as opposed to the mass sort of commercials that they used to do, they're calling that empathy, which may be right. a bastardization of a term. Well, and, and that was going to be my next point, is that is seemingly we have seen you know certain areas of science that have been moved over and incorporated into the business world, into, uh, into society in general, and seemingly this is the latest, and, and it feels like businesses un- understand that there is a level of importance in this, uh, not only in terms of working with the employees, but there is also a bottom line benefit to, to uh, using empathy in the workplace as well. Yeah, you know, we've seen a lot of um, we've seen a lot of publications um, that uh, that have come out um, articles that have been you know empathy that that helps your bottom line and um, empathy has um, um, like uh, empathy strategy and entrepreneurship fostering a culture of innovation right. you know these kinds of titles. Um, we're seeing them all over the place, and they're pushing for empathy to be taught in the business schools. Um, and and I question it. I don't think that it's necessarily you know it's not empathy the way that we think of empathy, sort of pre theory. I think that it's um, I think that it's not necessarily just like let's feel good to feel good. I think right. it's a way to make money. Uh, we're talking with Chris Beam, the author of the book, I Feel You, The Surprising Power of Extreme Empathy. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Uh, I, I mentioned at the top the various areas that, that empathy is seemingly appearing more and more, and, and that's part of, of what you go into the book, is that this is this is something that is covering all areas, seemingly all countries right now, and it is important to to a wide range of people at this point. Yeah, I mean, it, we're seeing we're seeing empathy as a term 
sort of surging in a lot of in a lot of ways. Um, Jeremy Rifkin wrote a book about um, empathy, and he's saying that empathy is um, right now we're in an empathy era. Um, you know, I think that every what I've found is that every hundred years or so we enter a new surge of em- interest in all things empathy. Right. I mean, empathy—the term is only a hundred years old, um, so it, it's it's hard to to look back further than that. Mm-hmm. But um, two hundred years ago, um, Smith and Hume were talking about sympathy in much the same ways that we talk about empathy. So we seem to go through these patterns of about every hundred years, getting a real interest in and in sort of connectivity and empathy and saying that we are as a species uh, interconnected and that matters. And that's how we drive ourselves as a, as a human, as a human species. And then we, then we go back into um, a, an idea that we're actually individualistic and that's what matters. And do, then we go back toward empathy. Do you, we, we swing. Do you think that, that the, that, that people in general have an understanding of what empathy is and how it can impact their lives? You know, it's interesting. I think that um, empathy, again, pre theory, we think of it as, as standing in another's shoes. Um, but the, it's actually much more complicated than that. Um, you, when we're when we're born, we have a sort of a baseline empathy, right. which is mirroring. Um, when a baby cries, another baby will cry. When a baby yawns, a baby will yawn. But then, as we develop, we get much more complex understandings of empathy um, and much more uh, deeper abilities to um, do different levels of empathy. So, um, even the one of standing in another's shoes is a is a more complex idea than than it seems on the surface. There's the idea of me imagining you experiencing your experience, and then there's the idea of me imagining me experiencing your experience. And both of those are complicated because if I imagine you experiencing your experience, I'm sort of taking away your agency. And if I imagine me experiencing my expe- your experience, I'm also, I'm, I'm sort of colonizing you. Right. Um, so, you know, it's, it's tricky. But the, I, the thing I think we see a little bit today, and I think we've seen it you know, even uh, to a degree over the last 30 to 40 years is whether or not people will take the time to kind of have that understanding of what the other person is feeling, whether they will actually make that reach out to begin with. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, we saw that in the elections. It was really interesting um, where empathy was being sort of weaponized, um, right. where people were saying, you know, I'm not going to have empathy for the other side because they don't have empathy for me, as though it's something that is, is chosen, right. where we can decide I'm not going to feel something, um, where when we talk about that low-level empathy, it's, it's instinctive. It's, an, it's, it's immediate. Um, and the idea that we can turn it off as a way to harm another person is a really interesting notion. What are what are the greatest benefits uh, uh, today with the mindset and, and, and the use of empathy in, in our society today? Uh, there are so many benefits to empathy. I mean, a, 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 empathy. It's interesting. We're, we're seeing it um, being used in courtrooms. Um, where um, empathy is, um, rather than us, we're seeing these, this rise in sort of empathy courts, um, where there are what used to be called like the drug courts or the mm-hmm. domestic violence courts, and we're now seeing them um, where 
in, in um, now that's in New York, at least, there are the prostitution courts, the human trafficking intervention courts, where rather than getting time, people are getting, um, um, they're still criminalized. They're still brought in as criminals, but, um, which is unfortunate, but they're, but they're, they're getting um, services rather than time. So, um, and we're starting to think about um, rather than thinking that you have to be sort of reasonable and um, judgment-free as a, as a judge or a jury, you're thinking that you have to question and check your own, um, your own biases, which is really good. Um, so we're, as we start to think with this whole Sotomayor um, question of empathy in the courtroom um, made, I think, a lot of people question where the role of empathy um, lay in, in, in courtrooms. Um, so I think that that's, that's a big one. Well, what, what about also the role uh, uh, of empathy within our, our children? And, and we see some of the changes within school systems now of, uh, of trying to teach empathy. And uh, you see, you know, all kinds of new ideas being brought into school systems uh, along these lines. Yeah, you do. Um, teaching empathy is a big question. Um, there's a big push for teaching empathy, and part of that is in the anti-bullying curriculum. Um, but a lot of schools are teaching empathy, and there's a big split as to how to do it. Some people think that it should be skills-based, and um, that's a real question. Is empathy a skill? Is it something that you can learn? Right. Um, is it something that you can teach, like, te- like, like playing the piano? Um, and I argue that it, it shouldn't be skills based. It shouldn't be, you know, we live in an acquisitional culture where we acquire, where we acquire things and something that can be numeratized and graded, um, takes away the inherent sort of value of empathy. Um, and I think that it should be modeled, um, and it should be learned for its own sake. It shouldn't be something that should be acquired and graded. Well, and I wondered, I mean, whether or not it was something that, you know, that to a degree we are born with of, of having, uh, you know, a, a level, whatever it is, uh, of empathy w- w- within us, you know, when we come onto this planet. There's, um, there's some research that suggests that, that when we look at um, sociopaths and psychopaths um, who are supposedly born without it, um, that suggests that. Um, it's really hard to tell. It's hard to make that kind of overall arching judgment that says that some people are born with it and some people are born without it. I mean, I do think that it can be, um, it can, it can grow. Um, if it's modeled for you, you can, you can, you can learn empathy. You can, you can absorb it. You can become a more empathic person if you are treated empathically. So I don't think that there's sort of a finite amount that you're given at birth. Right. Um, but I do think that there are people that are born with a disability. You mentioned uh, a little bit ago uh, about how it is uh, playing a role in, in terms of the court system. And uh, I guess to a degree, it, the, the use of empathy is to, in part, be able to give whoever the person may be an opportunity to try and feel like and, and get back into normal society as quickly as can as they can. Well, I think it's a way in the court system to make sure that um, they're given an even playing field. And um, there's, there's a lot of research that shows that um, when, we, um, when we're on juries and things, that we have more empathy for people who look like us or act like us. Um, and so that's really a dangerous precedent. 
So what we want to do is make sure that we're able to expand our empathy circle, as it were, and feel um, and understand people who may not be the same as we are. Um, and so it's, it's, it's about evening that sort of playing field. So ironically, while they say that empathy might have no place in the courtroom because it, um, it introduces bias, I argue that actually it has an enormous place in the courtroom because you have to expand your level of understanding for other people in order to not have bias. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Dan Loney in our studios here in Philadelphia. We are joined on the phone by Chris Beam, who is uh, an assistant professor at William Patterson University in New Jersey. And she is also the author of the new book, I Feel You, The Surprising Power of Extreme Empathy. Your comments and questions are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you're not able to get to your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at bizradio111, B-I-Z radio 111, or you can use my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. Again, 844-942-7866 or Twitter at bizradio111 and my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney 21. I would guess, Chris, that that when people think about empathy, uh, they always associate it as a positive, as something that that is a positive development moving forward. Right. Is it always a positive movement uh, in in all cases? No. I mean, I think that there are people that, you know, I, I don't think it's either positive or negative. Okay. It's, it's, it, empathy is not a feeling. It's just a mode. It's just a way of experiencing what another person experiences. That's all it is. So it, it, you know, it, it's a precursor to citizenship or, um, or to forgiveness or to another, uh, to a more quote unquote positive step to another thing, but it's only a step. That's all it is. It's just, it's just one, um, it's it, all it is is a, it's a way of feeling or experiencing another person, good or bad or neutral. That's all it is. It's just a hinge. So it's it's not necessarily positive or negative. Um, yeah, it's just a way of experiencing another person. But but then again, I, I mean, now that it is perceived as as this you know very important entity. Uh, it, it almost feels like, I guess, to a degree, if if it's neither a positive nor a negative, that at times we're tr- we're trying to make it into maybe more than what it is. You know, people think that um, you can get empathy um, fatigue, and right, right. Um, there are people who feel too much. There, there's the idea of the highly sensitive person who absorbs too much, um, and um, so it's it. I, I do think that there are people that experience empathy at a higher frequency than others, um, and they may have to learn how to protect themselves mm-hmm. from feeling too much. Um, so, yeah, but I don't think that it's 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 a, it's either positive or negative. I think it's something that's very useful um, to understanding one another. And I think that there are different definitions of empathy that are really interesting. Like um, w- rather than just standing in another's shoes. I think that, you know, there's a, there's a philosopher named Nell Noddings who says that that's actually a particularly Western masculine 
conceptualization of right. of empathy. She says that that um, it, that that very notion of projection is is sort of dangerous, and she says that actually empathy is receptivity, and that one way of conceptualizing it is just sort of mutual um, vulnerability. And that's all that we have to do is just be mutually vulnerable to one another. Another another definition that I really like is the idea of, of um, empathy as an interruption of power. Um, and that's something that I learned when I was um, writing about empathy in South Africa, when I was looking at um, post-apartheid trauma um, and, um, and looking at um, a man who had been released from... Um, prison um he was a his his name is eugene de Kock, and he was the an architect of of apartheid and he was being released on parole which is something that we would never ever do in the states um we tend to demonize our our convicts and keep them in for a long time and there because he had shown remorse he was being released um and the idea was that um you know in prison he was um he was sort of the repository for everybody's anger and outside he was everybody could sort of take be more culpable for their own for their own um, culpability in in apartheid so it was interesting the idea of empathy as uh, as, as a sort of interruption of his power we're talking with Chris Beam, who is the uh, author of the book, I Feel You, The Surprising Power of Extreme Empathy. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. You mentioned uh, places like South Africa, obviously, which uh, you know went through an unbelievable uh, uh, shift over the last uh, 30 to 40 years. Other places, obviously, where there has been unbelievable level of strife uh, in, in the last uh, 50 years or so. Uh, the, the, the mindset surrounding empathy, though, seemingly in many cases is a global one, is it not? You know, I, I think so. I mean, I think, you know, there, there are, there's an organization named Ashoka here, um, which is their sort of messianic mission is to teach empathy around the globe. And I find that kind of surprising because I do think that um, culturally most people have some sort of notion of empathy. Right. Um, it may be expressed differently, but I do think it's, it's sort of a basic human um, impulse. Um, again, because we start right out of the womb with the basic mirroring um, empathy, um, and then it, it, it builds from that. What is what is your expectation that that how we will see empathy continue to uh, to be a part of, of our society here in the U.S. And, and around the globe, and and how it will continue develop to develop, I should say, uh, whether it be you know as a function of work or whether it be a function of how we treat uh, those people that have been in jail and and coming out of jail. How do you think that will continue to develop? Well, it's really interesting. We're at a really interesting cultural time. I mean, it depends on how you see us as a... It's hard to get a, a sort of meta grip on things. Um, um, if you see us as a top-down kind of culture, we look less empathic um, because we've got an administration right now that is not very empathic, um, so it looks very tough. Um, and then if you look at us from a bottom-up kind of cultural viewpoint, we've got these kids, say the Parkland kids, 
who are doing some really beautiful work um, and are very connected and are really about building connection and challenging the status quo in a very empathic way. So it's really hard to tell where we're going um, culturally. It looks like we're kind of at a crossroads um, or, or an, you know, two, we've got two different forces going on at the same time. Right. Can you, can you though, to a degree, maybe follow it generationally? I mean, you mentioned Parkland and, and the kids and what they're doing there and whether or not millennials and Gen Z uh, are, are, are leading this push even further com- in comparison to the baby boomer generation. You know, I don't know. It's it, it it's really hard to make these broad sweep right. sweeping generalizations. Right. Um, but I I do think there's you know I, I think that the online generation is is used to being empathized with in a particular way that's both dangerous and helpful. Um, in one way, they're being empathized with because they're so used to you know buying dog food online and then having a charticle about Purina next to their you know, um, next, next to them in the next moment. And I think that while those of us in the older generation would find that uh, an experience of surveillance, right, right. you know, they yes. find that comforting. They find that empath- empathetic. They find that like they're being seen and understood and witnessed. Um, and so they replicate that. They try to replicate that kind of a- empathic um, witnessing. Um, so... It's going to be really interesting to see what's going to happen in the next, you know, 20 years. Well, and it, grow up. and it is interesting, it, it kind of playing off of that, how we've kind of changed our communication style so much in the, in the digital world in that, uh, you know, we don't write letters to people uh, hardly at all anymore. Some people still do. Uh, you know, the, the, the conversations that we have more tend to be on email and text where sometimes certain things can be taken out of context more so than actually you know, going down the street to your friend's house and and actually saying. So, I mean, that part of it, I think, makes it an interesting dynamic about how potentially this idea of empathy will continue to play out. Yeah, it is interesting. And it's but, you know, then there are people like, again, I mentioned Jeremy Rifkin, who says that we are more empathic because we're more global. Um, True. Yeah. Okay. And so we have, you know, our circle has widened. So we have a, a broader understanding of who of who our sort of fellow citizens on this earth are. And so we're constantly thinking about who we might be impacting as we go about our daily lives. Right. And somebody that we would have never even considered thinking about, let's just say, you know, in our teenage years, right. we may very well have, ha- have that connection now. And it, and it broadens the mind as we move forward. Yes, exactly. So I, I think both are going on and we're at a really interesting time that way. Great, uh, great having you on the show, Chris. All the, all the best with the book, and thank you for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. The book, again, is I Feel You, The Surprising Power of Extreme Empathy. Chris Beam, C-R-I-S, uh, is the author of the book. It is available in bookstores and online uh, for your purchase right now. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 